Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report, your weekly political roundup. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Michelle Quist, political commentator with the Salt Lake Tribune. Morgan Lyon Cotty, Associate Director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics, and Doug Wilkes, Editor of the Deseret News. I'm so glad to be with you all today. There is so much happening in our legislature and around the country, but I wanna get right into legislation because this has been an interesting week. I wanna get to this topic where we saw a lot of bills and that's dealing with the political process itself, the ballots, how people get to run for office. And so Doug, because we talk about this every year, it turns out, the remnants of uh, Senate Bill 54, which gave the opportunity for candidates to get on the ballot through convention or through signature gathering. It's in the crosshairs yet again. Well, I think what we learned is that politicians, politicians really want to control the outcomes of elections. We see it with gerrymandering. We see it with trying to um, put people in place who have the loudest voice. That's not necessarily surprising. It's not necessarily unethical. Um, but in this case, you have a conflict between politicians that want to control and a public that wants a choice. And so as p- if they try to unravel SB 54, if they try to limit the choice, it's going to be challenged again. And they said they'll do a signature drive if this bill passes. Well, wow, that's so interesting. So, Morgan, that's true. So the Count My Vote uh, proponents, the people that tried to get this on the ballot the first time, they've already vowed if you change it, we're coming back. Yeah, we saw them come out almost immediately and saying, we're geared up. We can come and get these signatures if we need to. And one of the interesting things about this is that Senator Dan McKay is saying, hey, most of these people that are getting signatures, in fact, the vast majority are also qualifying through the convention. But that's not necessarily what we heard from Count My Vote. They didn't say we want everybody to go the signature route. They just wanted to provide those options, provide that other path to the ballot that might open it up to candidates or at least give that extra choice to voters in the process. So, Michelle, what does this mean? I mean, you've been so close as political candidate. When it comes to getting on this ballot, talk about the implications, particularly as it impacts the Republican Party. You know, can I just say this this entire conversation is ridiculous. SB 54 has pulled the party apart over and over and over again. And here we are once again discussing the same issue. Six, five, six years ago, Count My Vote said, you know, we're, we're going to run a referendum if you don't have a threshold of 70%. Um, you, you know, so they, they, they passed SB 54. We told them that it would mean money would be used to buy signatures. We already told them. So the idea that this is now, oh, this is such a surprise that so much money is being spent, you know, that it, it's just, it's, it's, it's a ruse for, like Doug said, you know, controlling the elections. Um, SB 54 is law. Signature path is what Utahns want. The legislature just needs to leave it alone. Well, Michelle, what do you make of the fact that several of these legislators, you know, pushing forward on this bill are are the very people that held past this in the beginning? It's beyond (laughs) comprehension. I don't I don't understand. I, I honestly just do not understand um, you know, the, this whole, I can't believe this is how it's worked out. We told them this was how it's going to work out. Utahns like the signature path. And again, a referendum is going to end up with no conventions and no party system at all. And right now the party system allows those 
who can't afford to go get signatures to at least get first or second place at convention. You, you know, we don't want that taken away, and that's what's going to end up happening. Mm -hmm. So, Doug, before we leave it, th this bill does give options to the parties. There are various ways for a candidate to, to get there. It's just really essentially kind of taking care of that signature thing, which so many Republicans are worried about. Well, I, I agree with what Michelle said. There is, if you fight like this and you both are in two different corners, then you often get a result that is not good. Yet yeah, conventions could go away. The whole caucus system could go away. So you have a week left in the session. Find a compromise to this. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, they've talked about it enough. You know the different slices of this. You have a Republican Party nationally and locally that is trying to find its footing. So do something that you can strengthen parties without taking away the freedom of choice for the voter. Yeah. And bringing up, count but my Jason, vote over and over. Oh, sorry, Michelle. Go no. ahead. I, I was just saying, a compromise to, to what problem? What's the problem? There... There is no problem that we didn't know would already exist. I, I, I think they should just keep it status quo. I think this bill should go away. Yeah, it feels like this recurring self-inflicted wound that the Republican Party just keeps on bringing up year after year in the state. It doesn't seem like it's in line with voters' priorities. And people are really wondering, you know, why aren't we just letting Count My Vote and SB 54 be the law of the land? Mm -hmm. Well, a couple other things uh, will dovetail from whoever gets on the ballot. And Doug, take a second to help us understand ranked choice voting, because we've talked about it. It's been a little bit of an experimentation in the, in the Utah. There's a bill now now that's going to open that option up more broadly. Yeah, I'm certainly not an expert in rank in a ranked choice voting, but basically it's you go to a ballot and you take your first choice, second choice, third choice, fourth choice, and and then when you come out of that, you can see who the top candidates are. Um, Vineyard and some other cities have, have experimented with this. It kind of worked pretty well down there. Um, I think the goal is you don't want to eliminate debate. You want candidates to be able to debate and have issues. The question is, can you legitimately select through, through, through this method? I think it's worth studying. I think it's worth looking at. Um, but that's basically the process. Yeah, it's a good process. Michelle, talk about this because the Republicans worked on this even in their convention, right? They decided they would try some of this, just a little bit of experimentation. Do you, where do you see people falling on this and how do candidates feel about it? I like ranked choice voting. I think it's easy for um, voters to use. They they rank first, second, third. It it has been shown to take bias out of um, you know some you know against females or against minorities because people you know may be reticent to put somebody in the first spot. But oh yeah, I really like her as second. And then you know that that puts the candidate you know in in the real order of of where the voters lie. There is a little disconnect between this bill. Um, because it, you know, it, it forces counties, you know, it, it, I think it says county clerks can't decide, and that's, you know, a little opposite of our, of our, you know, small government rule. But I don't think, it, you know, one clerk should be able to um, stop this process if a county wants to use it. And um, I think it's a good, it, it's been a good experiment. It's been a successful, I, I like this. I like this bill. Okay. Uh, one more thing on these elections. Interesting. So, Morgan, a bill that looks like it's not going to go anywhere has, has died. Even getting involved in whether or not you can use a nickname for your name on a ballot. This is interesting. It was a really fun conversation we saw in the legislature. Well, and it seemed to be just targeted at 
Frugal Dougal being on the ballot uh, last last November, and it was interesting. One of the components was you were going to have to try to prove that you had been called this nickname, and we, apparently legislators were joking. Am I going to have to go back and find a high school yearbook and where someone wrote this nickname? <laughs> um, and a lot of times when something is really targeted, so much so that it just seems like it's that one person, it's not going to go anywhere, and it doesn't look like this one will. Yeah, that's an interesting one, Doug, too, because it's kind of like if you could prove this is what you go by, everyone knows you as. Maybe that's how John Dougal was able to get Frugal Dougal on the ballot. Well, I mean, it's one thing to be called Doug or Douglas, right? You know, and my mother can make that choice if I ever run for anything. <laughs> but we've come, we went through four years of Donald Trump where he gave a nickname to everyone. And so you have that kind of hangover now coming into something like this and just play it straight. It was a, it's just, it's not worth the time to talk about, in my opinion, in the legislature. It, it was fun, though, for some legislators to identify what their nicknames were in high school. So we had that. <laughs> so, uh, Michelle, one more thing. There's one more bill trying to uh, get to, the, to this issue that some saw as Democrats affiliating as Republicans to vote in the election. So we're talking about in this last in our primary in particular. One more bill, this is House Bill 197, which was changing when you can uh, officially state your party affiliation before March 31st of the election year if you want to vote in the primary. Them trying to corral people just what the perception from some of kind of gaming the system. Yeah, I, I think we I think the Utah legislature should be passing bills that increase voter participation, not decrease it. I understand the concern from this last election where, you know, you had you had Democrats who had who had been longtime Democrats switching parties in order to vote in the GOP primary. And it is unconstitutional to, to force the GOP primary to open up to, to members that aren't, you know, to, to people that aren't Republicans to vote in the Republican primary. But um, I just think it's not it's not the best look for a legislature to be limiting voting. I think we should always be trying to increase voter participation in any way we can. Okay. Uh, a couple other bills I want to get to, uh, Morgan. One, one was interesting this week, a, a big conversation on uh, the kind of the effects of a 2000 initiative uh, where people voted on English being the official language of government. And a lot has happened in the last 20 years. And uh, we have some legislators saying it's time for us maybe to address that, maybe open up the ability for governments to start communicating with people in other languages, their own languages. Yeah, this English-only law that we have in Utah is interesting because it seems to not be in line with this image that we have um, that Utahns are really proud of, that we are pro-immigration, that we are a friendly place for refugees to come. Um, and this is some a thing that's interesting about our conservative Republican state. We're not necessarily in line with some of those other, uh, other counterparts nationwide. Um, but especially this is important with the pandemic. We saw that um, certain communities, especially maybe that speak a different language, were really hard hit by this pandemic. And the state being able to be allowed even to publish things in different languages, to communicate with um, our citizens and residents in different languages can have life-saving effects in these cases. Yeah. Doug, that certainly seemed to be the argument from those putting this forward is there are times our, our state has changed so much and we have so many people speaking so many languages, which, which we, we prize, which we like, but sometimes government is not able to communicate with them, sometimes on things that very much are a matter of health, health and safety. Well, I agree. I mean, I, both of those points, the image, the populace speaks many, many languages, has been all over the world. We were very proud of the governor when he said, look, you know, we want the refugees here. We can help. We know how to help. Um, and yeah, with the health crisis, you needed to get into the uh, Latino communities. You needed to get the message out about public safety. So um, 
I agree with everything you said, Morgan. I think it needs to be there. Mm -hmm. Okay, one more thing interesting. Michelle, I'm just kind of curious about this. We have like three major bills on billboards. It seems that billboards are in their sights. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's too weak right there. But it's so interesting how they're going after municipalities and some of their desires to get billboards out of their communities and also a competing bill trying to say, uh, regardless of what's happening in your local community, if you want to put up a digital billboard, you can. Billboards is always all about the money. You know, you, you follow the money on this issue. Um, there's a big lobby, uh, you know, and you also have public citizens who um, are affected by um, where the billboards are and, and what they look like and what they are, you know, making their city look like. And then cities want to get involved too. And then you've got the lobby coming back in. So billboards will come up every two years and uh, we just have to suffer through it, I guess. Okay, we'll see what happens there. Uh, there are several bills dealing with targeted tax cuts, Morgan, uh, for, for uh, members of the military, for per, uh, personal uh, exemptions, for families. Why is our legislature really kind of getting to this point where it's targeted instead of what they were kind of hopeful would be more broad-based? Yeah, we have seen major pushes for major tax reform at the state and federal level over the last several years. And what I find really interesting about these bills is that normally these are things that would be part of a much bigger bill package. Uh, but the legislature is really taking this targeted approach and we're finding that they're having a lot of success. These bills are going through um, pretty easily with not a ton of public pushback. Um, and because, you know, they are really positive things. They're really targeted at communities where it makes sense to people's brains. Yeah, they should get that tax cut. Mm -hmm. A lot of this is connected. Well, oh yeah, go ahead, Michelle. I, I was just gonna say, it, they, that's the point, especially with this child tax credit. I'm, I'm giving the legislature no credit for running this bill. It should pass. It should have passed three years ago, four years ago, when the federal tax changes went into effect and the state, you know, other than every other state, you know, made the, the change so that the, the tax credit would be, you know, still be a, a state uh, benefit and Utah didn't. And, and they didn't the next year and the next year and the next year. So this, the, especially the, the, you know, the, the family tax credit, the child tax credit, that should go into effect. It should have gone into effect years ago. And I'm, I'm giving them no credit, but I'm glad they're doing it. Well, and perhaps it didn't go into effect several years ago because it was part of one of these bigger bills where they're saying, hey, we need this child tax credit and also these 14 other things that are part of this bill. Well, you've got, you've got a, more than a billion dollars that they're trying to figure out what to do with. Yeah. They've covered out $100 million. How can we help? So you have veterans, the military families, and you have seniors, and you're trying to give them an income tax break. They don't want to do an across-the-board income tax uh, break for all Utah citizens, and they're trying to kind of anticipate, okay, the, the projection looks good for getting on top of COVID-19, but we better be a little conservative. And, and Utah did it right. Last legislative session, they had all these things to do. They held off on it and now they're able to kind of address where we are in, at this moment. Yeah, so there are these very tardy tax cuts on, on the elderly, as you mentioned, on people who are receiving Social Security. That is a, an interesting one. But all this rolls up into the overall tax structure of the state of Utah, which I think is important to talk about for a second, Michelle, too, because we're about to see from our legislature maybe one of the biggest um, investments in this state of Utah's history in transportation and infrastructure. Yeah, and there's still this tax reform you know, in the background that, that needs to be addressed sooner or later, you know, whether we tax services, um, you know, the, the grocery tax that was hugely unpopular that they appropriately didn't pass. Um, and, and now we have this, you know, the infrastructure needs in the state and the question on bonding. 
it, it's a continuous issue. I'm glad the legislature is taking time to study it out. And I, I think they should you know, keep doing that and, and be careful in how they go forward. Okay, well, one more thing, Doug. I think this is an interesting bill that came up. It's Representative Carol Spackman-Moss, who every year runs a bill on distracted driving. It's almost always exactly the same bill. It kind of got held again, too, this year. But the idea here is that you can be cited by law enforcement if you're holding a phone while driving. This issue just keeps coming up. It keeps getting pushed down in our legislature for enforceability reasons and other kinds of things. But why do you think this one is not really getting through so far? That's actually a mystery to me. I mean, there's plenty of uh, many other states that have done this. Um, if you're, whether you're holding a sandwich or a phone, you're not as able to, to respond to something on the road, and a phone certainly is taking your attention. You have technological solutions that aren't very expensive, so it just seems like in the interest of safety, you're wearing a seatbelt, you know, you've got to have a car that, you know, meets an emissions standard, why not take a phone out of your out of your hand? It's not a it's not a right to have to, to hold a phone when you're driving. That's just so interesting. This one keeps coming. Yeah, go ahead, Michelle. I think it I think it's not going through because they all use phones, <laughs> right? They they recognize that that's going to really curtail their behavior, and they're you know perhaps a little concerned about that. It yeah. just doesn't have to. I mean, it's it just doesn't have to curtail yeah. their behavior. Well, and we see this every time we have one an added safety measure, and certainly we saw that last year and this year with masks, uh, that people don't like the government telling them what to do. And there was huge fights over helmets and seatbelts and all these things, yeah. and now they're just part of our lives. Mm -hmm. So speaking of telling people what they should be doing, let's talk about schools for a minute, because we brought it on our program. Uh, Michelle, you've talked about this very issue on our program before. Uh, Senator Todd Weiler has, has introduced a bill uh, telling school districts in, for the entire state of Utah, you must provide a four-day in-person option. Not saying they can't still do some remote, but you must have four days. Talk about the development of that bill, because we still have one district in the state that has not been willing to do that which is Salt Lake. And, and I, I guess the teachers were, were, you know, were up there picketing on Wednesday. I didn't know that. My kids were, you know, at home online school Wednesday because for some reason, Wednesdays are still at home online for, for all of them, even the, even the ones who are in four days, the elementary school kids. Um, I don't think there's any reason right now for junior high and high school kids to be home for four days. Um, I recognize that it, you know, the school boards are making these decisions. I think they, um, you know, I, I think incentives from the state um, are appropriate, and I, I think it's also appropriate for the state to be worried about kids that are, you know, in school for two days when, when everyone else in the state's in school for four or five. It's interesting to this point, uh, Morgan, because not just as this conversation happened locally, we even had our own Senator Mitt Romney just this very week saying, maybe we, even should, we should not even give pandemic aid to places where kids are not in school. Yeah. As I was thinking about this this morning, so I was not a physics major, so I may get this wrong, but that whole idea of the immovable object and the unstoppable force is sort of what it comes down to with some of these school districts who really don't want to go back to in-person learning and the state governments and then federal leaders as well who are really pushing this. And we're even, this was even part of uh, what President Joe Biden ran on, getting kids back into school. The logistics of how you actually do that, especially when you have a school district like Salt Lake who isn't going back. And and um, I think a lot of people feel that 
they haven't heard the communication of why they're exactly they're not going back or what the plans are to go back. And they're looking at some of the surrounding districts, um, like Granite District, who has figured out how to go back, who's figured out how to do a mask policy and testing in the schools, and are wondering what's happening and why can't, you know, why aren't we finding these better solutions or these quicker solutions? I mean, I would say, you know, things were a lot different a year ago, right? We're a year into this, uh, really, last end of February, March, March 11th, when Rudy Gobert, you know, was, you know, tested positive and the world changed. The science says that it's better outcomes for a child to be in school. We're losing kids. The science says that COVID is not as big of a threat that you can manage with proper procedures. The science says a mask can help. If you're very concerned, double masking, they're looking at maybe that will help. Can you protect the teachers? Yes, you can with vaccination. So if you're looking at science, you don't have to shut down business. You can make conditions so that business can stay open. You don't have to shut down school. You can make conditions so that kids can be in school. So if you follow it that way, then you have a lot, much greater chance of getting kids in school. Yeah, having a bill say you have to do this, that's born out of frustration because you see all this science and, and then people are still not reacting. That immovable force is it's, difficult. It's like divorced parents who are fighting over who controls where the kids go and when they go. You know, it, it, it's all about this fight over control and they lose sight of what are the best interests of the kids. Yeah. Uh, you know, this, this bill is stalled right now because of funding for increased testing. I think if we find that funding and we're able to increase, you know, the testing for um, kids that are in junior high and high school, I, I, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be there. And, and I think Salt Lake, uh, you know, district and any other district should be accountable for having their kids in school. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about some of the COVID um, kind of things that are happening this week, uh, because a lot, a lot are happening, Doug. So the governor just yesterday came out changing some of the parameters for people who are able to get the vaccine. Yeah, so if you if you have a, a, a pre-existing condition of, of and there's a list of those conditions, and you're over 16 or 18, then you can you can begin to get the vaccination. And uh, I heard today that there there are spaces available to go do that. Um, another very important thing happened in Utah today, which the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints gave 20 million dollars uh, to UNICEF to a program to try and make sure that other countries where they don't have the advantages of the United States or the United Kingdom, that they can get vaccinations in there. So you have a lot of momentum right now toward vaccinations. And, and the governor, what did he say? That he wants to be in a parade in July? <laughs> yes, he Without his that. mask waving to the masses? So. Yes, he wants to make the, the response to the virus go viral. <laughs> with all that, go ahead, Morgan. Antiviral, hopefully. Uh, well, in a poll, one of the things that's really encouraging in a poll that we did with the Deseret News at Hinckley Institute, um, the numbers have shifted dramatically. People are much more willing to get this vaccine. And Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think just 12% of people said, I don't want this vaccine. Um, and the other really encouraging thing I'm seeing is that, or that we're all seeing, is that Utah's above the age of 70. I think about over 70% of them are, have received at least that first mm -hmm. vaccine. So the fact that these people are Figuring out how to make the appointment, figuring out how to show up, how to get that shot in their arm is really encouraging for hopefully what the rest of our younger um, citizens and residents will be doing. Mm -hmm. Michelle, let's talk about these points that uh, both Doug and, and Morgan just made because the numbers are very interesting. In, in 2000, uh, in September of 2020, this is our poll that we did with you, mm -hmm. Doug, and we asked if people would be willing to take the vaccine. This is before we had it. People were anticipating that would that would come. 25% of the registered voters in the state of Utah said they would not get the vaccine. 
vaccine, and another 21% were unsure. And this has changed dramatically, as Morgan just, just mentioned in the poll that we just did with the vaccines out. 12% of Utahns now said never, and only 3% of Utahns are not sure. That's a big change. It is. I think people are more comfortable. They can see others, you know, have received it and, and, and have been fine. I love that Utah made the change. You don't have to prove, you know, your, your underlying medical conditions. So we don't have, uh, you know, the, the women in the other state who pretended to be old grannies so that they could, you know, go and, and get this um, shot. I love that they included 16 and 17 year old kids, um, you know, who have underlying conditions. Um, I, I think Utahns want to, you know, be protected against this and they want to get back to new normal. I don't know if normal is ever possible, but they want to get back to life. And, and I think that, you know, people are just comfortable with, with the fact that there aren't many risks to this vaccine. Now, one thing that I hope that people are very careful about, though, is this, this honor system to you know, getting the vaccine. We're seeing issues in other states where, I mean, the women dressing up as old ladies is sort of a funny one, but other p young, healthy people showing up in um, to get shots in places where it was really directed at those communities of color that have been disproportionately impacted. So I hope that in our state, we're cognizant of that and making sure that those communities that have been so effective, affected aren't shut out of getting these vaccines. One more issue on this, Doug, because we all are so careful with our masks. I know you are very careful about wearing your mask, but also as we start getting more and more people vaccinating, this is already coming up again to our own governor as recently as yesterday about whether or not we will lift the mask mandate uh, sooner than later. It's a really good question. I mean, look at the flu numbers this year. The flu numbers are way, way down. So lives were saved with the flu because people wore a mask. Um, you know, Asian countries have a culture of wearing a mask because there's these different uh, health risks. So. I've had conversations in my house. Are we comfortable wearing a mask? Um, do you have to be as diligent? Likely not. The numbers have already come down. But there's some wisdom in protecting yourself. Just as we try to wash our hands, is a mask the same thing? It'll be interesting to think about. And protecting others, too. I mean, what a wonderful problem that Primary Children's Hospital is having right now, that those nurses and doctors are probably pretty bored because there's no babies or little children there that are sick with RSV. Yeah, do you think, do you think this, we have yeah. like, you know, go ahead, Michelle, last, last 10 seconds. I, I don't need the government to tell me to do something that's good for me or my family. I will be wearing masks for a while, at least probably through the end of the year, and it's not a big deal. It's just a mask. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much for your insights today. Lots of interesting bills uh, coming forward and lots of implications. So thank you for your insights. Thank you for listening to the Hinkley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review.